Listener Production. You are listening to episode 191 of the Howie Games Part B, featuring surfer Tyler Wright. Let's go. You're surfing. Um, you had some time away, and obviously it was just yep. too much. You had six months off? Oh, it would uh, be 2012. 2012? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had so, some time away. Time away because the tour was almost crumbling, and in the sense that the women's tour was almost crumbling. Men's tour, thriving. We love that for them. Our women's tour, almost non-existent. And so we would have six events in a yeah, year. Yeah, it was hardly any, was Yeah, it was it? hardly any. Did you, when, when you stepped away, did you surf or not? No, I think I went and I bought a dog and bought a motorbike and went snowboarding, which... Oh, good. Oh, it was like an 18 year I went to my, um, both of the schools that I went to on the South Coast, uh, graduation, year 12 graduation, so they were graduating, so, and went and watched that, and I went and watched um, Colbara Cougars, which is our local soccer club, win, win the grand final and, you know, did what 18-year-olds So did. you lived? I lived. You lived. So lived. What, why? Now, now, why have you gone... <laughs> What's Why have I brought, gone that way? What's brought, no, what's brought you back? To, to come back? Yeah. Um, you know, I... I mm-hmm. There's a long pause for thought. Yeah, it is a pause for thought. I probably articulate myself differently from what I did at the time. I think... I still didn't know. I didn't know what to do. Okay. Like... Um, this is a... You're starting young still. <laughs> yeah, I'm 18 years old. Yeah. What led me, I think, what led me to quitting was that the absolute deterioration of my mental health and being in an environment where no one saw it or people did, but they didn't know what to do about it. And So I don't want oh, yeah, to... I don't want to delve into personal issues, but give me a... Give me a, a brief snapshot of what had happened to your mental health as oh. this young girl that's grown yeah. up in a professional environment, been designed, built to yeah. do what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, I, I, the the really lovely way to put it is that I was designed to be a weapon yep. and I realised I was a human being. Okay. And what that actually... self-aware at 18. <laughs> yeah. And so what that actually means is that I've now live my life in a way where I've blocked out every emotion. I've copped everything on the chin. I've dealt with everything that I possibly could with the tools that I had at hand. But at the end of the day, I didn't want to keep going. So at that point, it's your mental health so bad that you just end up in a place where you don't want to be here anymore. You you think about disappearing. You think about, yeah, you, you end up being... Um, having an abundance of anxiety, depression, and suicidal. And this is by, I would have had it from 16 to 18. That's how you felt? Yeah, that's how, that's literally how I felt. How did the anxiety manifest in your life day to day? Uh, is, to be honest, I didn't know what it was. I didn't, I wouldn't have been able to articulate it, but it's just everything. Everything got, it wasn't that it was too much. It's number four in the world, like going for these crazy things, but my life was, it wasn't really a life. It was in the sense of like, none of it, I didn't really have a choice in it. It was just, this is what you're doing. Like I couldn't go back to school, tried to go back to school, couldn't connect with friends because, you know, the people, my father wouldn't, 
It's not that he wouldn't allow it. He just, the way he would talk about people, the way he would talk about people my own age and the way he would talk about siblings that had friends and and that would go out and party and it's like, you don't want to end up like them. You don't want to end up like, I'm like, well, they seem pretty cool. I like them. I actually love them. I think they're they're great. Um, so you end up in this place where you're so isolated, so by yourself, you have zero ability to articulate because you you weren't taught how to express yourself and you weren't taught to have boundaries. And all you were taught to do is just keep copping it on the chin and that this is just what life is. And so by 16, when, 16 when I first got on, by 18, I'd had enough. And I was done. Yeah, that's how it manifested was this. I, I didn't know at the time. I didn't even know what any of these things were, like depression, anxiety. None of this is talked about. It was talked about at all. I didn't even know what my family talked about now other than giving each other shit, mm. um, to be honest. And I, I don't particularly think that was very helpful. Um, <laughs> and like, helpful. oh, at all. And now I'm like, yeah, anyway. So you, you got to understand that that's where I was. So when I quit, I was, I was, yeah, it, that's where I was. And I wouldn't say that particularly changed overnight after I quit. I have a laundry list. I had a laundry list of things. And I think for a long time, the way I looked at these things was anxiety, depression, and even how like I was in that headspace of uh, being suicidal. Um, no one came to me and was like, you know what, with the circumstances of your life and your environment, Tyler, it actually makes a little bit of sense that you are in this space. And that's the one thing that I think, like I've been working with a psychologist for the same one for six years. And if someone had asked me about my life, you know, at the age of 24, I was like, can you put a timeline? I'm like, no, I don't remember any of it. I just remember I had the greatest childhood and that's it. And I love my siblings and that's it. Like I actually don't have much. And it's, it's taken me six years to get an accurate timeline of what my life has been like and, and the patterns you just develop when you're so used to being in environments that that my response was to kind of just step back, separate yourself, go and do this, let people see you as this and then you can just disappear. Again, I have a brain but wasn't using it. I wasn't taught these things. I, I have fast processing abilities but I'm told that I'm, I'm not smart, like, you're in an environment where you can't care about anything too much because then that will be used to manipulate you. And if they find out that, and they, by, by me, uh, my dad finds out that I care about them, then they'll be used to leverage me to surf. So it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to fathom because I haven't lived the experience. Mm. But so, so you have all this due to what's happened and, and your relationship with your dad. But you, you come back to competition. Yep. You start competing again, yeah. and then what? What enabled? What was the? I don't want to use the wrong term. I don't want to put words in your mouth. What was the shift in your mindset that then enabled you to come back to to come back and care about the competition? The caring came later. The comeback was I fired my father. How, what did you just, <laughs> did you just pull him aside and say that to your dad? No, I said, "Do you want to be my dad? Do you want?" Or do you want to be my manager and coach? And he's like, I want to be your manager and coach. And I said, cool, I want a dad. And he's like, cool, well, I'm your manager and your coach. And I said, cool, you're fired. Um, look, I I love my father. 
I think he did a great, he did the best that he could. But when it, when you get to an age of 16, 17, 18, when you want, starting to want autonomy and you're mm. like, actually, I don't agree with that. Like you start to see things that you really, as a woman, you don't agree with. I'm like, I don't like how you treat my sister. I don't like the differences that you treat my siblings with, like because of gender. Like you start to see these things and you're like, ew. Um, and then you get to a point where you just don't like the influence that he has over your career and the leverage that he has over you and the manipulation, you, you start to put these things together at you know, 16, 17 and you start to fire up. And, you know, the fire up is kind of there and then you, you kind of like, I don't like how you treat people. But you're getting into a position where you can afford to leave. And, um, and so, so you left. It didn't go down well because, you know, obviously in that year I was... Yeah, and I was like, I'm going to start from scratch. I'm going to throw everything out and I'm just going to come back and see what happens. And he's like, I think you're wasting your life and your career. And essentially the, the you know, kind of like you're a piece of shit and if you're not going to listen to me, you're you're deadbeat. You're not going anywhere in your life. And you, It's hard to hear. It, it is hard to hear. No, it's but hard it's, to hear for me. It's hard <laughs> to hear, let alone but for you. But it's something I was very used to. That was the start and I think it was just – Understanding that I just made a choice for myself, which led to a very long pathway of rediscovering what it all meant to me. Um, and was there a moment in competition where you're like, okay, I want to win? Yeah, that came in 2016. I actually read, I was reading about that, where you're talking yeah. about in 2016. Um. And someone quoted you, it to you, and you talked about this. It's far greater for a human to care rather than not to care. Yes. So I'm going to read that again so people can think about it. It's far greater for a human to care rather than not to care. So you're at the point of not caring about competition. Yep. You know, it'll be what it is. and yep. But then you start to care. Yep. And how did that affect performance? Well, I won two world titles, but I think I, I, I would like <laughs> so to. How many people can answer that question <laughs> with the statement? Well, I won two world titles, um, um, but you did. I did. Yes, I did. It's not the answer I was expecting, Tyler. But yeah, it's pretty succinct and to the point. To be fair, yeah. Well, I won two world titles. Well, and 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 I do want to point out, yep. that it was the process of me really starting to care about me. So not about surfing, about you. About me and about surfing, but about, like, I, for a while you have to understand in the psychology that I was in, caring about things ended up devastating for me. So caring about anything. You had your bed taken away. Yeah, literally. Books taken away. Like, I love reading. Like, I've always loved storybooks, just love it. And and it, it is time for me to, and you know, you, you get in trouble for reading books. But like, that's just escapism. Like, what do you want to escape from? And, like, you get berated for these things and you're like, okay, well, f all right. All right. Um, you, you adapt and you change. But so caring about things was a devastating thing for me. And so, and how they will be, and you kind of get a little bit paranoid too about how things will get used against you. So you kind of bit sus on, on most things. So, again, there's not great foundations for good, healthy psychology. 
Um, but you started to care about surfing and yourself and Yeah, I started to care. I, you know what? I started meditating and I started being around a different, uh, different variations of human beings. And I think that was my first real, I, I learned about meditation and it actually came from someone that taught me meditation and they were like, oh, like, they, I was just like, oh, I don't care. I don't give a shit about this. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, kind of, more, again, more punk. Like, and that's, I think I would have thought that I was a really tough kid and a tough young girl and a tough, and I had to be, but I, I'm not. I, I'm I'm quiet and I'm slow and I'm, I like peaceful things and I like reading books and I like drinking tea and <laughs> and I, you know, my dream when I retire is to sit by a river for a year. That's it. Like, it's, it's like, feels in... I think it's juxtaposition to mm. what I actually do and, and the Very stage so. that I do it on and, and the accolades that I do it and everything like that. It actually, there's it, kind of like, it feels like a bit of a mismatch at times, which is why the why I'm doing these things is really important. So just hold the world title thought for a <laughs> yeah. In the midst of the world title, um, I don't know, you're very separate people and... Um, and separate athletes, but your brother sat in that chair. Yeah. And he talked about what happened to him in Hawaii. Yep. And, well, it's a tough listen. Oh, it's brutal, huh? It is a tough listen. Tough to watch. I don't know exactly what happened, but I went I went somewhere else. It was it was colourful. It was, um, you know, it was what I call, I feel like to this day, and it holds true. I felt like I went somewhere else and, and I had a decision to either come back or, or stay away. And um, obviously, I'm still here now. But that, why'd you come back? I, I, you know, the track when I got back was so incredibly hard. But I, but but when I was there, I, I remember coming back for the for the people around me and my sister and my family. Yeah, well, well he talked about very little memory of it, but remembering you were there. Yeah. for him the whole time. Yeah. So people should go back and listen to Owen's description of what happened. But but what was it? like for you like he like I think you were at yeah. the hospital for two weeks straight yeah I was, yeah said. I yeah, slept on, yeah I did yep I slept on the floor and I don't know if I've been asked that question before what it was like for me personally I think well you you there's your brother you love and you're on, oh, on the and hospital and I idolize like you're on the sleeping on the hospital floor yep and yeah I'm, I think I was 21 at the time and I think we we just lost my uncle which was massive and that happened and do you know yeah it's one of those moments when you you realize something really gnarly happened but you you don't get to realize it you don't have the luxury because right now it's high consequences he talked of almost an out-of-body experience where he didn't know what everyone else saw around him but Mm. he felt that He'd passed to another place. Yeah, no, he, the doctors told us like from day one, they were like, we don't know how he's alive. Um, yeah, we don't know how he survived the hit. We don't know how he didn't drown. We don't know how he got to the beach. We don't know how he just didn't die when he went to sleep. We don't know. Um, it makes no sense that he's still here. Like his, his scans make no sense. And so you're 21 years old. Your brother's in a bed, linked up to all the machines, and yeah. And this, hearing th- this. this is your story that we're telling now. So how was it for you? It was life altering. Was it? Yeah. It, it, in it, what way? In the way of 
we were at a point where we were running around the world and I think Owen was in a world title race at the time and then I was kind of, again, always kind of in and out of that space at that time. And you, you think you're unstoppable. You think, you know, we we do a crazy extreme sport. We, you know, and, and then something like this happens and you, and you watch the person that you've probably idolised your entire life essentially be told that they should be dead and that the recovery is going to suck no matter what you do. No matter where he is, it'll suck. And so you, for me, it changed everything on how I looked at everything. Um, And in the sense of like, it's funny because I think people, like I, I, I was around a lot, but I think people think how I supported him after changed. I did not support him coming back. And I, I did in the sense of like I'd show up, but internally I could never be the same support. So he'd had a traumatic brain injury. He came back, famously won his first event. So did this cause, because of how you'd seen him, like, did this cause friction between the two of you, between brother and sister? There's normally friction between there's brother no, and sisters. There's always, look, there's always yeah. friction, different life Are you values. all like, no, mate, you should give it away or? No, I didn't ever, I didn't know how to articulate that. Okay. Now I, I would have handled things a little bit better in the sense of being more like, hey, I know what the doctors are saying, I don't agree. Like, I don't, you're not here. You're not you're, yourself. You're not yourself. And Which a doctor can't know because they don't they can't they don't know, know him. who Owen is. And no, and that's the hard thing too, is like I had so many people come up to me and like, Oh, he's back, he's doing this and I'm about to throw a drink bottle at their head going, <laughs> You ignorant like you have no idea what this man has been through. You have no idea. And for you to sit here and tell me, someone that's just watched it all happen, tell me that he's back, yeah, I'm about to throw hands because <laughs> because I, sorry, I, and I never did, and I wasn't. I wasn't at the time. Again, at the time, I probably didn't know how to articulate well, and and I think two people were like, kind of like, oh, you got to let it go and get back on with your own life and stuff like that, and that's fine. Um, I did, by the way. How it was for me after was completely different from what it was before. I never, and, you know, like I still, we don't really talk about this stuff just because it's like, but I didn't support him the way I think people wanted me to in the end. Like I would support him if that's what he wanted, but at the same time, no, I didn't think he was ready to come back. No, I don't think this is worth it. I've done everything that everyone wants to do and I'm telling you it's not worth your health. Like it, it's hard to watch someone you know and love almost die in a sport that you do, come back and everyone says they're they're back and they're all good and you're just like you, everyone's on another planet planet or I'm on another planet yeah. and I eventually was just like oh I must be at super out of line because but I don't think I was. So through through all this, it's yep. going on all of a sudden, you. I don't know, the weapon starts doing what the weapon was designed to do. You start yep. dominating um, and you're in France. Um, you make your way through a final and your main competition, uh, was it Courtney Connolly? Mm. Yeah. Loses a semi-final yep. um, unbeknownst to you. So you're, you're yeah. heading down to the beach. I, I looked at the pictures last night. It was night. funny, huh? It's great pictures. <laughs> and it was, um, 
this massive blonde hair came from nowhere, which yep. I think was Steph Gilmore. It was, it is, yes. So t- tell me <laughs> that through your eyes. Um, we came out of, so I got second in Portugal and Courtney got first. And, but I was, I kind of asked my team, I was like, just tell me what I need to do. And they're like, just win. That's so you all. win the event, you'll be the world champion. Yeah, this is guaranteed. And like, sometimes things like that make sense in my brain. Like, okay, that makes sense. That's what I'll do. Okay. That's my intent. That's where we're working. Okay, what do I need to do to accomplish that? So when you're in that stage, like I could see the energy shift from everyone. Everyone starts getting all like wiggly. And I'm like, I look at my coach at the time going, we're still on, right? Like we're, we, we're still going for the win. And he's like, you're going for the win. And so like he's just like, you're going for the win. And I was like, cool. Um, again, more energy shifting. But I was like, oh, it makes kind of sense. Like the final's coming up and... Yeah, all right. No, we're fine with that. So I kind of like, I put that to bed before I walk down and I'm like, okay, walk down. And like had headphones in. And I was just like, I see the photos now. It looks so staunch. But in that moment, it felt kind of cool. Like I had a whole bunch of security guards around me. But you got a full posse. <laughs> yeah. And your man like, Fletch from Rip yeah, Girl's there. He's there never far away. He's never far away. And and I was in my, um, I think Rip Curl made this like kind of like trench coat. Like it's like this longer coat and it's kind of like staunch and I think it's really cool random just details that I remember but and then out of the corner like there's a you'll see my facial expression change half a second before Steph tackles me and um it's actually with the photographer uh Corey Wilson and he he he's worked for he worked for Rip Curl for so long and we had like he's the only one that could really I'd be in the most serious situations but the only one that could kind of get me to like smile in a like like a very cheese ball way and so I kind of just like tipped my head to the side a little bit and was like do like bit of a frown because I think I just realized what the situation and then Steph tackled me and she's like you done it like it like you won and then I looked up into this path and here comes Tyler she's like a boxer she's got a hoodie on she's got a water bottle and she's just like has no idea that she's about to be the world champion. I won. Five seconds. And that moment was. I'm fascinated by what you're about to say more than anything you've spoke about. Like, I want to know what that moment was like for you after everything you've told me and the, the battles and the, like, what is that moment? <laughs> it's not as wild as people think. And that was, I think, I, I think that's what I, it was kind of like, yes, cool. The job is done. I get to kind of go home now. Like it, it, it is done. Like, I think people expected me to be more emotional about it. Again, I think they, they felt like they needed, they were, in, like, entitled to this massive show of emotion because I don't think I was very, I've never been, like, a super emotional person in you front of You look more shocked than anything else, to be honest, looking at the vision. Yeah, yeah. That's from, yeah. The, from the externally. I don't know what yeah, you're feeling. Yeah, because I think but... I, I don't like changing tracks. So you're still thinking, I've got to go and surf this final and win yeah, it. Yeah, yep. And, uh, and so when it was, I was like, like, you, I swore at my coach, I'm like, win <laughs> and like and because once something like that is told to me it's just like that is just the that is just the line so it was kind of like 
the shock of doing it before I'd done that, I was just like recalculating, yep, getting my head around it. And so, yeah, it was pretty wild. But I think I would look back at on that now and I, I think it was really it was really cool that it was Steph was the one that told me. Um, and there was a moment in Fiji where I lost and I was like, oh, I'm going to go home. And Steph's like, please don't. Don't go home. Stay. Enjoy. You... I've already, I think I'd already been in four finals by that point and I just got last in the event. But Steph's like, that's brilliant. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's just like, when the numbers work out, you're dropping a last place, which is what, a thousand points. You're not dropping a fifth place, which is 5,000 points. So your gaps are small. So, for, so you can you can take your worst result and chuck it in the bin. Chuck it in the bin and yep. you're, you're only throwing out a a thousand points in, in yep. you know, a 10,000 points is like the full win. So she's like, it's kind of brilliant. Um, and she also kind of talked to me about, she's like, Tyler, you've always been, you've always been in the world title club. She's like, you've always, you've always had what it takes. You've always been genuine as well. And you've always been authentic enough in your kind of self. It's just, you just had to get there. You just had to, you know, decide when you wanted to be in it. And and so she kind of gave me this talk like six months before I won. And then for some reason, again, like my mind, I wanted to win in France. I'd already decided that's where I was going to win uh, for multiple reasons. And so I asked like Jesse Marley Dyer and like Jesse and I probably told her again six months before I was like look I'm gonna try win in France um again this is wild when you think about the, the mm. situation is like you know she probably wasn't yeah no it was probably close to six months beforehand going I'm going to win there can you please have this made for me so I actually asked her to make the the yellow jersey with my brother's number on it and so in the final, which I may or may not have been a little bit tipsy, um, and which I probably shouldn't say that, but it's it's the truth. Everyone can get over it. Um, and yeah, so I, I stood up switch foot with my brother's number on it. And I, so, so you surfed in your brother's number, in your brother's jersey, and you surfed goofy as your brother surfs. Yeah. And you're a natural. So Tyler yeah. stood her other way on her board. Yeah, and and that's how I... It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I think that's pretty staunch. I look back and I'm like, that's pretty funny. At the start of the contest of the final, Tyler decides to take off switch, dedicating this one to her older brother, Owen Wright, as we notice the number change. Tyler, her number jersey, always 13, as she makes a change to three, as we see it now in the final. It's rogue as, but it's, um, it's funny as. And so I think that's cool. Um, and there was a lot of cool moments out of it, but I, I think when you, you talk about how it feels, I once described it as, do you know when you, you you're a kid and you don't want to eat the food at home and like you drive past Maccas, we'll never allow Maccas, but let's just say, actually, that's a terrible example. Um, anyway, whatever your favorite takeaway mm. food shop is. You're like, mom, can we, can we stop in there? Like, can we, can we, can we get takeaway for dinner? Like huge news as a kid. Um, <laughs> super exciting. And I described winning and losing world titles like that is the sense. It's the same thing. Like you're so fine either way. <laughs> 
life does not change whether you get takeaway one night or eat at home. Yeah. But for the, in the moment, on that night, you're like, this is cool. Like, That's a great description. That's a great <laughs> that was description. The, it was super random. But it's it's the thrill when you're a kid and you're getting takeaway yeah. for dinner and you can you can you know the excitement. You're like, oh, that's really cool. And then, but you also know that if you don't, you still want to go home and get fed. And that was always kind of later how I described it. So a year later, you got the takeaway again. So you won another world title with your leg hanging off in a massive knee brace. Mm. A knee injury at Portugal where the topic was, is this the end of her title run? They are going to celebrate two consecutive world titles for Tyler Wright as a 2017 Women's World Champion. Wow. Unbelievable stuff right there from Tyler Wright. Goosebump stuff. But then we talked about what your brother went through. Then you got sick. I was on a surf trip. Yep. And traveling back to a comp in South Africa. Yeah, J-Bay, actually. And I think people think I have really traumatic associations with J-Bay. I don't. I, I, um, Not from the start. It was obvious how much you love the place. No, no, exactly. Like, you, you can tell I genuinely love this place. Um, and But it's an incubation period of what I had. And so by the time I started showing like, again, severe symptoms, was probably, like, five days. And so I'd travel back into the country and spent a few days at Jane Bay and then went to safari. And I was actually on safari before the comp had started because it was this weird... The the boys had the waiting period first and then the girls would have the back end um, to to extend it to a 16-day waiting, which is really long. So I was like, sweet, the waves are small, the boys are going to take it. Um... We'll go on safari. But I'd already been, I'd been having these like really weird body things. Like I, I thought it was to do with my period and I was like, oh, it's fine. You feel terrible and that's fine. You, it's just your period. I was like, okay. Um, oh, you jet lag and you're traveling, you know. But then I, there was one day where I just, I couldn't get warm and I couldn't get out of bed and my bones were in so much pain. And it's not my body, but it was like my actual bones. And I could just, I was just, a, I was like, I, I don't know if I can go out on the next drive on the safari. And, and I hadn't really mentioned anything because I was like, oh, fine. Um, and then I was like, actually, I really can't move and wow. well and like moving is actually actually doing anything is feels like it's killing me right now I think I started coughing lightly and I was just like in between those things I was like whatever happens when I get to the hospital tell them to inject me with whatever I cannot handle this pain anymore like I'm in so much pain it's a joke everything hurt and they did a bunch of blood tests. They're like, we're getting the infectious disease people to come down because we have no idea what you have. Your platelets are wild. Your blood's gnarly. Like, we actually have no idea what's wrong with you. That's not what you want to hear in the hospital. No. Um, anyway, they ended up doing a swab um, in my nose and throat or something. And it came back with influenza A. So like, oh, that's fine. Influenza A, um, you're going to feel like absolute, like, you're going to feel terrible. 
Um, but take these antibiotics. We'll give you some stuff for the fever. But I had a fever of like over 39. Jeez. Um, so I was just cooking my brain. We eventually went back out to J-Bay and they were like, hey, like take this. You should be feel fine in the next 24 hours. Like, like yeah, you'll feel kind of like fluey, but it's not a big deal. Anyway, went out there and that didn't happen. So we got the the WSL emergency doctors on site to come and treat us and because they giving us IV bags and um, and I couldn't eat food. Every time I'd eat, I'd just throw up. Every Like my whole body was just not working and um, and the doctors were like, all right, we're just going to jab you with this. You should feel better in 30 minutes. Didn't feel better in 30 minutes. And then I'll come back in eight hours like, oh, did you feel better for a bit? And I'm like, no, like nothing's helping. And I think I realised at that point that I was – like there was a point in that room that I was like, oh, I actually might die. Um, this is not going well because every time they'd come in, they're like, oh, you should be you should be doing way better now. And I'm like, I'm not, like nothing you're doing is helping me. Um, do I have to go back to the hospital? They're like, no, 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 no. We'll go and get more tests. And they're like, oh, you might have pneumonia or you might have bronchitis. And I did. I think I had bronchitis. As well, we never got confirmation whether I had pneumonia or not. Um, anyway, eventually my, I had a fever of like over 39 for a week. And or, yeah, no, something like that. And um, which just means I'm just frying my brain. Mm. Like my brain is an absolute fried unit at this stage. So eventually by the time I get home, I dropped, I think, eight kilos. Home um, to Australia. Home to Australia. Like it took me a week because they, they couldn't send me if I still had fever. So by the time my fever dropped, they sent me home and they're like, oh yeah, you'll feel better in a week. You'll be fine. One week went by, two weeks went by. I'm like, okay, I should be better by now. Started like doing stuff and I was like, like I that, no, I don't, that's weird. I don't feel better. Um, and anyway, I was like, oh, I'll just go do the wave pool and then try and qualify for next year and then take the year so the year off. So I flew to America for 24 hours and got there and honestly had the most hectic, horrible experience because I was so sick. Like I just couldn't move. I couldn't think. I couldn't drive. I couldn't like the, the things that I was having was gnarly. And um, anyway, so I... I literally got there, had one treatment by my physio and, and then he was, I was just like, I got to go home. Like I can't do this by myself. Like I'm melting. And so went back and then started looking into everything. And then that's when they found that I not only had influenza, I also had um, pneumonia C, uh, Epstein-Barr, a chronic E. coli infection from the water that I was in because it was open sewerage, which is why they think I got so bad. So your system was just completely cooked? I had about five or six individually gnarly viruses that kill people and then had them all at once. With how, how, how long were you unwell for? I was unwell. Well, I just never got better. So you couldn't get out of bed? No, yeah, so I spent eight months in a room, a dark room by myself. Eight months? Yeah, eight months. I tried to, that's what I'm saying, like I tried to leave and just because you don't be a weapon and, and register. So you, end, you add in, 
You don't register that you're sick. You don't register that you're injured. You don't register these things. Pain doesn't stop me. And that was the whole thing. And it became like a massive thing is because every day I'd get up for a mental fight and, and in the end I lost because at the end of the day, I was like, I can cop it on the chin. It's fine. I can keep carrying on. Like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, and at the end of the day, it was just like, I had to stay on the ground. I'm like, I can't, I can't keep entering this arena and get this shit kicked out of me the way I am. And so into a year and a half of absolute desperation. A year and a half. A year and a half, yeah. Before. What, what was your worst day? Oh, I didn't have one. It was so everything. It was just all right. Every, every day. And every. Why, why, why the picture in the shower? What did the, what, what did lying on the floor of the shower do? Um, I don't even know. It was probably because I woke up one day and couldn't stop throwing up and then I'd end up in hospital and they're like, we have no idea why, like why. So no one had any answers? No, no one. They were like, yeah. Frightening? Terrified. Absolute, the desperation that I would do to live a normal day. Do you think do you, at that point when you're that sick, do you, do you ever think you're going to get well again? No. No, you're at a point where you're just like. It's horrible time. If I could have a, an hour. I would give a lot for an hour. And then you're at the point where in bed, like you, like the sound became a nightmare. Um, food became a nightmare. Sensory lights, everything, beha- conversation, moving became a nightmare. The aches in my bones were just, I cannot explain to you how much pain I was in. So you were literally... In your bed. I was in my bed. And as an athlete, I don't understand that. Didn't didn't for a long time. Especially not as the weapon. No, no, you, you don't. I'm not trained to stop. I don't know how to stop. Jeez. I don't know how to comprehend those, the information that people stop when they're in pain. Like you mentioned it briefly before, I, I won a world title with my rip, knee ripped off. Mm. I literally did that because I have the ability to kind of disassociate myself and just be like, that is the task. I will complete the task. I can then worry about the knee. But you couldn't with this? I couldn't. I, everything everything I knew how to do, it didn't work. I didn't know how to meditate my way out of it. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to stand up with this on my back now. Like I didn't like, it's one of those things where I've had injuries, I've had major injuries but I had no answers of where the injury was. They were like, yeah, you're, this is what your bloods are telling us. Your bloods are telling us that you're absolutely messed up. We don't know how to fix them. We don't know how to do this. We, we can, we start looking at all these different things and the amount of needles that I had to the point where I had scars on my arms and on my veins is, it was astronomical. And so you, you end up in this state and you, I got up every day thinking I was fine, only to realize within three minutes that everything was sore, that I could barely move, and my brain was on fire, like on fire. The headaches were just blinding. So where did the solution come from? It came from um, Brett Jaros. He is in Melbourne and South Yarra. He's actually known for, I knew, I actually knew him before this <laughs> randomly, but I knew him as a nerve guy. And then 
Owen because of his injury and Mikey because of his head injuries. They started seeing him for concussion. And Brett is a chiropractor by trade. And a lot of people are dismissive of chiropractors. It's, um, but once they go and see Brett, they're like, oh, he's not just a chiropractor. I was like, no. Um, and I don't know how to particularly articulate what he does in all the different letters and numbers after his huh. name. Um, and the skill set that he has, but it's vast. But he healed you. He did through neuro rehab. And Which so is? <laughs> it was the hardest rehab I've ever done in my life. Um, so neuro, the brain. This brain, yeah. So what he discovered, and again, I'm not probably going to use the no. appropriate terminology. I, I'm sure there's better medical terminologies for this language, but I don't have that. Um, so I think, have you heard of POTS? Mm. Just me for a moment. Sorry about the interruption. For those of you that aren't aware of what POTS is, P-O-T-S, here's a medical explanation for you to bring you up to speed. I'm no doctor, so I'm doing my best with the pronunciation. POTS, P-O-T-S, stands for Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome, P-O-T-S. It's a form of dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system. So in layman's terms, what Tyler is talking about is it causes a debilitating and unpredictable lightheadedness and rapid heart rate when you stand up, which is what Tyler was suffering. All right, let's get back to it. So I had like functional POTS where I didn't have medical POTS, but I had functional POTS where I would lie down and my heart rate would jump 30 to 40 beats every time I stood up. I had, I couldn't stand in one spot with my eyes shut. I couldn't track anything. I could only stare at certain things and that's it. That's how I stayed alive for a year and a half was that I could fixate on a certain point. Um, and so what, again, this sounds like random information, right? Um, but what it all means in the neurophysiology and the physiology of the brain means that I had decreased cerebellum, cerebellum activity. I had midbrain, uh, brain stem, parietal lobe, temporal lobe, prefrontal cortex, midbrain. Every part of my brain was not functioning or integrated. So like to the point where I'm one of the best athletes in the world or was at the time and I couldn't balance. So how do you have an athlete? Wow. That was That's your whole life, balance. Literally. So how do you have an athlete that can't stand on two feet? How do you have an athlete that goes from laying down to standing up and and feels instant rage? Um, and a lot of these things, are, they're emotional parts of the brain. I don't know how to register this either because I'm not someone that used to, that is used to articulating high level degrees of emotion. And the thing is, is what he's like, look, I can't tell you if I can help you or not. And so he approached it in a way where he is like, I can give you an assessment and that's all I can give you. In that assessment, within the first assessment, the very first thing he did, he brought on 90% of symptoms. In the very first thing. And that the, the test was literally lie down for three minutes and stand up. And that brought everything Brought everything Something on. Something as simple as that. Yep. And he started there and found his way through my brain and found a lot of different things, which then set me on a path of neuro rehab. Um, you obviously, which within six weeks, I was back in the water. Six weeks. So you're talking, I was out for a year and a half 
within six weeks. It w- and I say six weeks, I was back in the water, but it was the start of another very long process. Mm. And it was six months of from August to December was when you saw me back in competing in Maui and but and then COVID happened. And so what that actually what I was never ever gonna have the chance to deal with the psychological impact it is of losing so much of myself. I lost eighteen kilos. I lost my mentality, my psychology, my what it felt like resilience, as in like my adaptability of life to have things thrown at me and just absorb them and kind of cop things on the chin and and you know you go through such a you're in a you're in a psychological state and an environment where you don't have an answer you don't know what your tomorrow is going to be like and you obviously situationally end up in a very again situationally depressed situationally like I don't know if I can keep going environment because no one everyone's saying that I'm lucky to be alive but no one is helping me get like get anywhere and I I spent like like and this is obviously a year between then mm. and when Brett came in I spent probably close to $100,000 on naturopathy on on like these so many different things on trying to get answers of where what how how come because and even for people to look at my brain and what that involved and like I had a neurologist tell me that I had chronic migraines and that I'd never be able to work and surf again and I almost threw my drink bottle at him mm. I was ready to throw hands I was like throw hands I, again I was going to throw hands I didn't obviously couldn't <laughs> couldn't move that well so I was mentally going I don't like you and I'm going to snap Back to Tyler in a tick. We have been privileged to feature a host of gun surfers on this show. So if you are a wave pig, check out episode 15, seven-time world surfing champion Lane Beachley. One of the things that you must do to sustain success is celebrate success. Episode 27, Mighty Mick Fanning. You, you say thanks, you know, and, and I thanks guess... Thanks for what? Thanks for paddling over? Thanks for helping me? Well, just even just thanks for caring. 2012 world surf champion Joel Parkinson on episode 61. Well, there was so many ups and downs, I guess, injuries too that I went through. Big wave legend Gary. McNamara. Now he has a story to tell, episode 85. And I look out and see the biggest waves I've ever seen. Episode 89, the super stoked Sally Fitzgibbons. It's about this feel, and you got to go out in the ocean, and there's a story for you every day. The King, 11 time champ, Kelly Slater, episode 117. I just figured at that time, okay, I'm pretty good at this thing. I might have a future here. 1989 champion and surfing commentator, Martin Potter, on episode 101. To be the best at something is why I started surfing. And recently, Tyler's brother Owen on episode 189. Scared the shit out of me. Yeah, right. Understandably, mate. Fair crew in the lineup that lot. Please go back and listen. Let's get back to Tyler. Oh, we've covered some topics. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I won't keep you going for too much longer. Um, yeah, you're right. Recently married to Lily. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Great wedding photos. Thank you. Great, yes, like really, really nice wedding photos. Yeah. We've talked about so much living life in the public eye. What's the process of your sexuality being in public? I think back in the day when I first got on tour, there was a lot of, 
um, bi women, gay women. Um, but I think the vibe, <laughs> again, like, is when I came out, again, wasn't a really big thing for us. Um, wasn't a big deal for you? No, personally, no. I just showed up one day with a girl, oh. and they were just, and my family was just like, Kill, and then you know my brother high fived me and was like sick. Um, they're just stoked. They just if you're happy, we're happy. We don't really care, mm. and that's kind of how I, it like how I came out to my family in in, in words. But uh, it, yeah, I feel like by that point I was already twenty four and and li- well and truly living my own life by that point. So personally, I don't feel like it was that hard. I think what was tricky and what is tricky is like because I'd been raised in surfing and the surfing culture became a tricky mm. it's a tricky concept especially if you're not in it and I'm I'm not around I wasn't around 16 year olds when I was 16 I was around 28 year olds and everyone had a strong opinion of sexuality that point too and I think you know probably not as inclusive back then as we are now especially in surfing. And I think I came up in the generation like, oh, we're all straight and we're all straight and beautiful and skinny. And I came up in the generation that like sex sells and the over-sexualization of women's bodies and and kind of like what that does to one. And also just like everything was kind of geared towards the male gaze. Nothing was appreciated from a women's perspective. Nothing was viewed from a women's perspective or... Um, so I think, you know, there's a couple big intersections in surfing and then, you know, you would add in race as well. And I just, I don't think we've nailed it. I feel like we have really, we came from a counterculture background kind of thing in the sense of surfing, Mm. competitive surfing and that kind of vibe, which sounds progressive, but I think in a core sense as well, it's, it's been really stuck um for a while and there's movement now but movement is on trend and I think I struggled with that because I think I probably being at 16 you're not really in a safe space and you kind of at all really so I knew it wouldn't go down with my father well but I think by that point I think I was 24 I had two world titles I was like what on earth are you gonna say that and 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 not been these world titles protect me but in in an essence they did like I, I I've always found it funny that I do things in a certain way and at that time I was just like oh yeah no one can touch me with these things now so I, I can now do what I want hmm. um which is yeah I don't know how I feel about that but it's just kind of what happened and so honestly um I probably and now like now it's beautiful. I get to, and I think I make a massive effort because I think I've struggled probably this more this year, probably more than most because there's been a few different topics that have come up in, in the media and, and people have strong opinions, but they just don't know how to talk about them and they don't know how to use the appropriate language. And having different opinions is great, but it's just, you don't have to be ignorant in how you communicate these or how 
how you articulate. And I think, you know, I, I really struggled that. So like my wife actually was like, well, why don't you just do like queer surf meetups where you go and, and try and connect with queer community where, wherever you go and, and just start creating a different sort of space that actually I feel really safe and comfortable in. And, and it's not, look, I was raised in surfing, but my wife, it has, you know, she's in hospitality and like all 60, 70% of her staff were all queer, you know? And, and so it's, for her, it's been a real shock going, mm. you're the only person in this whole tour that's comfortably out and, and living their life. And you're the only, like, you're the only queer person I see for months on end. And I was like, yeah. The sexuality thing being out in public, it was fine. Like I, I don't actually have an issue with that. I understand, especially in surfing, why. And I, I chose to do it for a reason. A reason being? Because I think surfing had a long way to go. And I think the surfing community needed to kind of like get its shit together a little bit more. And I think we need to have a little bit of a social, emotional kind of awareness awakening as well of just like, hey, no, we like we're good on the environment stuff, but the rest we drop the ball because we're surfers and we're hippies and like who cares about politics, right? It only affects everyone. Are you happy to (laughs) help progress that? Like you famously... um at the start of a heat didn't paddle out and you had Black Lives Matter yeah. on your board. Um, like there's some pretty weighty topics. Are you happy to take that nah, responsibility is not that word, but take that on your shoulders as well? Is everything else going on in your life? I I did because I think it's the right thing to do with the platform that I have. You've got an enormous platform. Yeah. It's one of those ones where it's, it's um, yeah, it's how I live. And do you get negativity comes back your way when you're – uh, openly giving your views on issues to me that are straight. There's only one view yeah. and that's the yeah. view you have. Yeah. Like, so do you, how do you deal with it when it's directed to you in a negative sense or it doesn't come that way back? Oh, no, it does. Um, does it? <laughs> it does. Yeah. Look, I, I... I'm sorry to hear that. No, it, it, I'm not. It, it's, it's part of, it, it, it's, it's sad, but it's also just like, hey, like we have a long way to go. And we need to be we we do, but it is also the reality of what so many face daily around the you know multiple intersections, and so it's just having a sense of compassion really and understanding and just awareness of like, hey, my experience is not the same as another's experience, and some things that others experience um based off things that they they have no say in um that you know make their lives harder for them. So from all these experiences um, that you've had and being a bloody child prodigy, Mm. for all the kids listening Mm. um, that want to achieve success in their field, as Mm. far as titles go, you've Mm. achieved success in your field. I think that we've understood it to be deeper than just going out and winning, but what advice would you give to the youngsters out there that want to have some success in what they're trying to do, whatever that may be? I think know yourself first. And surround yourself with people that aren't afraid to let you thrive, that aren't afraid to let you to have space to grow in whatever direction you choose and get people in that are 
that are smarter than you. Get people, get a neurologist in, learn about the brain. Get a physiologist in, learn about the body. Learn about your nervous system. Learn about neuroscience. Learn about, I don't think I put it together early enough, but if it's, it's those things that have allowed me to understand my own process and also talking about what feels good and understanding that your talent and your gift, the thing that you've crafted and your artistry isn't a myth. It's, it's as much as it's magic, it's real and you can understand your gift and you can understand your talent and find people who are brave enough to go and sit with you through really challenging moments and not have a particular destination in mind and who are happy to just listen and go, what do you want? Like what, what is, what does success look like for you? Take it out the results, take out what people say, think, take out the noise and, and, and bring things down to like core meaning. Mm. Um, yeah, you're, again, I didn't competing now. I, I actually didn't think I'd ever compete this way, but it's the most joy that I've ever gotten in in competing the way that I do today. And it's simply some of the things are so simple, and it's just like, I and it's quiet now. My my job and my surfing and my competing is, yeah, the noise can get loud and it can get a bit distracted. But at the end of the day, I get really agitated by it because I'm like, no, this is just for me. Like this is something that I'm doing purely for me out of my pure heart and out of my soul because I like playing games and I like putting my mind to something and I think not everything has to be explainable yeah I don't know I think there's so much in that space that that is really where I feel like I've thrived in the last few years and what yeah I went through some challenging things to get here um and I never, like, it was funny, like, I never thought I'd be grateful for the things that I did go through, ever. I was just like, no, that was just a complete and utter chicha. Mm. Um, but you get back and you slowly get to a time where you're like, I really like my life. I, I, I love it. And I put a lot of work into it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think there's, some things will be challenging, but that's life and I love that you love your life now. Yeah. Um, thanks for joining me on the podcast. It has been thought-provoking to say the least. <laughs> the podcast is always aimed at um, inspiring and motivating the audience and giving them a different approach, the way to think through things, and your episode has done that and more. Tyler, thank you for joining me on the Howie Games. You're a star. <laughs> thank you so much. Incredible story, that. Incredible story, most of which Tyler hasn't told before, so we thank her for trusting the pod to be so open, so frank and so honest. May life provide Tyler with so much happiness going forward. Thanks again to Michael Scott and the crew at Rip Curl for bringing Tyler into the studio and for their little social media guru, Caleb Williams, who provided plenty of content. There's a man with a bit of a fizz about him and a bit of a spring in his step. Thank you to Caleb. Until next time, with Danielle Laidley... Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try.